part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Uh, we're going to look at a passage this morning in James chapter 5 that um, is really, as I said before, really a tough passage. It's one that you may have never heard preached before. Not because it is not part of the valid Word of God, but just uh, a lot of times, unless we're just methodically going through the Word of God, as we love to do here at Cornerstone, uh, expository preaching, this is one of those that I, I personally tell you I would skip over. Not because of the truth of it and not wanting to preach truth, but just because it's a really harsh word. It's really one of those tough words that when you read it, you're going, okay, is this the same James that has been talking about all these other things that we can kind of feel kind of good about? Yes, it's challenging, and yet we just see James as this very compassionate guy. And he doesn't seem really all that compassionate when we open up to James chapter 5. We get to a place where, uh, again, this is rarely preached. I, I actually did a little bit of research and I began to see what other preachers did, you know, as far as I always kind of go out there, especially on a passage like this, and say, okay, how did this guy, or how did this guy kind of handle this part? And it was amazing. They preached all the way up to chapter 4, and then they kind of get, got midstream in chapter 5, and they just skipped this passage. Maybe when we begin to read through it, you'll understand why they were maybe not timid, but uh, and it was, how do we handle this? What is the application for our lives? And it really does seem to be somewhat out of character because it's a very sharp word. It's a very direct word that James is bringing to us today. Whenever we see something like this in the word, though, I want you to be reminded, guys, that while God did not just vacate the personalities of the people that were writing, all scripture is God breathed. So a lot of times we'll go, you know, I just don't know that I really like Paul's opinions about this or that and the other. Well, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not that Paul is writing that. Yes, God allowed his personality to come through in the writing style, but it was God-breathed. It's God's word. It's God's truth. In the same way, when we see a difficult passage like this, it's like, well, man, James is just Mr. Cranky Pants today. This guy just, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's just not happy with something. Somebody really just kind of, you know, irritated him. No, James' personality coming through, but at the same time, this is the word of God. God breathed, and it's instruction for both that church in Jerusalem at the time 2,000 years ago, but also for us today to, show, to, to mold us, to, to kind of show us the beauty of Christ, and to show us how we kind of turn the singing of our lives into the living of our lives. Because it really is amazing. I mean, I can come here on Sunday morning. I can sing all day long, but I need you every hour. Or I, you know, Christ, you're enough for me. But, but really, okay, we just sang that. But could you really say that that kind of captivated the way that you lived this past week? You know, that Christ was enough? Or did you find yourself, much like me, that always struggling in a certain capacity to be content? Because that's really kind of what we're talking about today. To live a content life in a very discontent world, but get this, in a very discontent human nature. You by nature are, are not content. The sin nature is always going to be lacking. And so it's only the spiritual nature that Christ gives us that brings true contentment. That doesn't mean somebody who doesn't know Christ cannot be content uh, for a certain matter of time. But there's not this overall heart of contentment and this attitude of contentment. We see that in people like Howard Hughes, Billionaire many times over, and yet he lives his life isolated and always wanting, always in fear. We don't see a, a heart of contentment there. Uh, talk to people who have won the lottery. 
And, and they will tell you, man, you know, one of the worst things that ever happened. Now, not everybody said that. And I know a lot of you are going, okay, give me a chance at it. I will try to disprove that theory. But a lot of people, you know, they, they received millions of dollars and they said it changed my life, but it really wasn't for the better. All of a sudden there was stress, there was this, the other things. Oftentimes we think that when it comes to contentment, riches, money, and different things like that, that man, if, the answer is if I just had more. And Christ is trying to, trying to tell us that the answer really isn't more if the heart's not settled. And so today what we want to look is how, how do we live as content people in a very discontent world and with discontented natures, our core nature, that human nature being one of somewhat discontent. How do we make this transition? And uh, James is going to go about it. it it's going to seem like one of those sermons that you can almost immediately tune out because as we get to the very first verse that we see there, look what he says, Come now, you rich. And you're going, good. <laughs> this word is not for me. <laughs> I can skip, you know, anything that's sharp, anything that's edgy, anything that's kind of pointed, that is not us. And so, honey, we can just kind of sit here and write love notes back and forth this morning. Now, when we begin to understand what he's going to talk about, we're going to say that in one way. He's not just talking about a group of people that had a certain bank account number uh, in their bank account. He's not talking about, you know, okay, if you're part of this, you know, a million plus, then you are rich, and so this pertains to you. He's talking about an attitude, not a dollar amount. But guys, he is very, very fierce. Anybody ever hear of the Pulitzer Prize winner Upton Sinclair? He's kind of a radical writer back in the early of the turn of the century in the early parts of the 1900s. And he was kind of always known to be that edgy person. He's one of those that kind of, uh, in 1908, I believe it was, um, wrote uh, this novel or this description of the meat industry. And it was one of the, the early reasons why all of a sudden the government came in and said, we need to start putting some you know, safety measures here. So he's kind of that radical mindset. But what he did something one time, he had this passage, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and he got some preachers together. And he, said, he began to read what I'm about to read to you. And he, instead of attributing to the Bible, he said, no, this is the work of Emma Goldman. Now, Emma Goldman was um, kind of like the, a woman's lib person before there was woman's lib. She was in that same time period. Uh, she was from Russia. And uh, she came to America, and she was just very, very radical. And she wrote radical stuff. And it wasn't just on women's issues. It was on a lot of other issues. In fact, most of the stuff that she wrote really wasn't about women's issues. It was just kind of almost bringing a, a sense of a, a socialistic kind of view over. And so she really wasn't uh, everybody's favorite writer. Well, what happened is... We get Upton Sinclair sitting down with a bunch of preachers. I don't know how many, but it was a bunch of preachers. And he reads this following passage as if it was from Emma Golden. And they immediately began to call her out. We need to send her back to Russia and all this other. Because they said, you know, what a mean-spirited, unhappy woman she must be. James chapter 5. Let me just read the first three verses. And you might see why they thought that and why they were ready to get rid of Emma Golden when it was never her words, but it was actually the word of God. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And by the way, Jesus loves you. (laughs) It doesn't say that afterwards. I mean, it goes on and it actually gets really harsh. I mean, does this seem like the James that we have been studying for months and months? I mean, James, uh, it seems like the guy that you'd want to have over dinner, and yet he can say those kind of sharp things that kind of point us in the right direction. But I've never really felt that James was this abrasive guy that just kind of got in your face and started saying things like, that's going to eat your flesh. And yet that's what he's saying. Was there just a terrible time in James' life between chapter 4 and chapter 5? I don't think so. It really kind of follows along in a much more dramatic way of what James has been saying all along. Chapter 1, he kind of talked about the misuse of money. Chapter 4, he again addresses people, not so much that have money. This has nothing to do with money, but all with an attitude. The Bible never says that money is evil. Folks, it's a tool. It's just like fire. You can do really good things with fire. You can have a fire and do s'mores. And that's a good thing. The misuse of fire, and what happens? You can burn down your house. It's the same thing as fire. One is contained and it's kind of controlled and it's used for a purpose. Hey, I want to cook my dinner. Hey, I want to be warm. It's kind of chilly tonight. Our neighbors last night, we got home and and they had a, a, a fire pit going. And it was really cool because all the family were around the fire pit and you were going, man, that just really looks nice and you know, I wonder if they have s'mores. And, you know, you just kind of get that whole mentality. And yet that same thing, fire, misused, misplaced, does what? Can burn down a house. Can burn your body. That's what the Bible always says about money. It never comes out and says money is evil. It always says, man, you've got to be really careful with this. Because it is a, 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 something that can bring out something that, that is down in your heart. That is not always directed Correctly, you rich. Well, that's not me, Bobby. I'm not rich. I'm in need. If you're on the north side of thirty-one thousand collectively as as a as a family, you are part of the top two percent in all the world. As our nation would say, you're part of the one percenters. If you're in the top north of it, you're making more than thirty-one collectively as a family. Folks, we are the elite income earners in all the world. See, here's the problem. So many times we want to look through the lens of the American experience and interpret the Bible through American tradition, American mindset. It's a global gospel. This is a global word that we have. And, and sometimes we, when we look at this, he goes, man, he's talking about those people. Yeah, I know people like that. You may know people like that, but here's the thing. You may be a person like that. You, you may be one of those that, you know, that God really wants to speak to about, you know, how am I using the assets that God has blessed me with? Now, again, this is not a sermon so much about, okay, guys, we need to raise our, our finances. I love preaching words like this. And it always, God has always blessed me that when we're methodically going through a book and it comes upon issues of money, that we're always above budget. And, and that's just a blessing because it really is hard if you're below budget and going, okay, man, the preacher just got up there and all he talked about this morning was money. 
please try to raise from your mind this morning that he's talking specifically about money and dollars as much as he is the human heart. Because the end is not, the answer is not more money. The answer is contentment. And I have found in my life people that make, you know, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year, and they are the most content people in the world. I have met many people that have more money than I will ever see in my life, and they're not content. It really has nothing to do with how many zeros follow that first number. It has everything to do with an attitude. And so having that mindset, look what he says. Going back to verse 1, he says, come now. That's a word of warning. Um, it's a call for attention. He's trying to, to call everybody into a, a mindset there. So he says, come now. And he begins to, to kind of tell us at this point, uh, he calls out the rich, but he begins to tell us something that really sounds much more Old Testament than New Testament. Uh, this is something that if we read the same passage in the Old Testament with Malachi, Habakkuk or somebody like that, we would go, man, those prophets, they had some fierce words. And those prophets in the Old Testament, when, they, when God put something on their heart, man, they just got to it. I like the New Testament. Jesus, love, rainbows and unicorns. And I just like this, you know. But do you, do you understand what we just sang before? When we were talking about God and talked about rainbows? Probably an illustration of Isaiah and the vision that, that God... But also, mighty thunder. <laughs> Folks, is God kind of rainbows and, and promises and sincerity and love and all those things? Yes. Is he thunder? You better believe it. He's holy God. And so when we begin to look at the things of God, there's going to be that part that is just so attractive to us, even in the human nature. But there's going to be a part of us that's going to be very offensive to us in that human nature. This is one of those passages. James points out four things. If you're keeping notes this morning, there's going to be four things that he kind of gets on to whoever this is. There is debate where these people inside the church are they outside the church? If you read different commentary scholars, some of them will say, you know, this just doesn't sound like Christians, and so this must be people outside the church. Others will say, well, maybe it's people who were in church, but they're not Christians. Others will say, well, you know, the whole time James has been addressing brothers, sisters. He's been addressing the church. I can't tell you which one conclusively James is addressing. I, I just know this. There is a part of this that is for everyone here this morning. There's a part of this that applies to you. If you love Jesus, there's a part of this, even if you love Jesus really well, that applies to this. Because I don't know that I've ever met a person in my entire life, including myself, very much myself, that could just say, you know, when it comes to contentment, I get A pluses. I just find myself always content, no matter if it's a sickness, no matter if it's a, a financial issue, no matter if it's an emotional issue, no matter what it is, I just find myself always happy. No, I would say that you're delusional. You know? Can, can you really be happy all the time? In Christ, you can. So, so what is it that he's pointing out? Four things. First thing, um, he says, you hoarded money. James Five, verses 2 and 3. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. In that day, 2,000 years ago, there were kind of three main forms of 
uh, if you want to say monetary value, one of it in your crops. In an agricultural society, if you had a lot of crops, you're a wealthy man. And he addresses that. He said, your, your uh, riches have rotted. In other words, you got a lot of vegetables, you got a lot of corn, you got a lot of this, but it's rotted. Then he goes on, and another thing was clothes. Clothing was a big deal then, it's still a big deal now. Now that if you kind of dress a certain way, you dress for success. And he says, okay, your garments, they're moth-eaten. Another form that is still valuable very much today is precious gems, stones, gold, silver, rubies, diamonds, things like that. And he says, okay, you took these things in the last days and you hoarded those things. Now these last days, is he talking about revelation? Is he talking about right, like right before the rapture comes? You know, the second coming of Christ? Now, I, I really believe that when you take it in context, that what he's talking about is that day that every one of us will face, and that is that we will face God one day. Whether you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done upon the cross or not, you will face God one day. I truly believe that everybody will. Every tribe, every nation will face and be judged by God. Now, there's two judgments there. One of the judgments is a sin judgment. And I truly believe with all my heart, by the testimony of God's word over and over again, that when it's up, I will have a laundry list longer than you could ever imagine of all my sins. And Christ was sent and said, I've blotted out every one of them. I've, I've counseled every one. I've paid for every one. And I will, as we sing this morning, every bit of this is almost out of those words, that there's a righteousness because I was a really good person. I was a pastor. I tried real hard. No. Because the Second Corinthians 5.21 in that passage talks about this great exchange that all my sins were placed on Christ and all of his righteousness was placed on me. That's my only hope. Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other else, everything else, sinking sand. He's our only hope. So he talks about this, this hoarding and he talks about, you know, uh, that this end times, I really believe it's, it's a judgment time that's going to come. And he said that these people were guilty of just kind of storing up things that they did not need. Have you ever seen that show on hoarding? It's scary, isn't it? Everybody in their 20s and 30s can go, I hope mom and dad don't get like that. You know? <laughs> I mean, it really is. You look at that, and, and what's the first, it's okay to say this in church, we're just being honest here. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you watch the TV show and you see somebody like this? They're, yeah, kind of messed up, crazy. I mean, it's okay to say that in church if you're really thinking it. It's okay to say that. Do you really see a lot of sanity in that? I mean, honestly. You're going, I'm like, you know, somewhere, there's, there's something that's troubling them to the point that, you know, this has started something where they feel like they have to have all this stuff. Not just the mess of it, but just that they have to have all this stuff. Well, that's really what James is telling to the people that are rich. Again, not so much a monetary amount. He just says, man, you have this nature of hoarding. We'll do a little self-examination. Does anybody, not to this extent. See, this is easy to watch that show and go, man, I'm glad my 14,000 beanie babies don't really consider, you know, or all my baseball cards or all my comic books or whatever it is that, that you may have a lot of. I'm glad that doesn't constitute hoarding. I mean, for me, it would be tools. 
I like my tools. I got a lot of tools. Somebody just yesterday said, man, how many, how many power tools do you have? Bunch. You know, and I said there was a certain male pride about, yeah, got a lot of tools. Now, some of them all do the same thing, but I got a lot of them, you know. I mean, guys, don't we all somewhere in, in our lives have a little sense of, you know, two is great, four is fine, but ten is fantastic. And just in case the first nine break, I got my safety in this tenth one, in case it really gets dark. Would you admit that there's a part of you in some area of your life, it may not be tools, but there's something in your life that, you know, there's just easy to kind of want a lot of? Well, that shows that it wasn't just this group of people that they're rich and that they just have, you know, let me show you all my tools. And you go in this room and there's 20,000 tools in there. Now, every one of us have a propensity in our nature to kind of want to have a backup. And then maybe a backup to the backup, just in case. Some of that is wise and preparation. Some of that could be what he's talking about here. But it's part of our nature. And we can say, well, there's nothing evil about this or that or whatever. No, it's not evil. It's not really, you know, now we, the, the wording is used here because I think they were using it for evil purposes. But that's where we try to write away some of these things. I mean, just the fact that you would even know when I say, hey, do we have a lot of stuff? That you would kind of, yeah, I know what stuff is. I know what you're talking about, Pastor. Because we are people who have a lot of stuff. The second thing. So first thing he said, you know, man, be careful with this whole attitude of hoarding. Not to this extent, but this attitude of, you know, I need a backup to my backup to my backup. Second thing. Gaining our value or the money by taking advantage of others. Look what he says in verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In other words, he said, look, you know, you aren't always honest in the way that you kind of made the rules. Remember the, the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. But remember the Americanized version of that? Those who have the gold make the rules. Have you ever in your work time, whether you said it out loud, kind of felt that way? You know, isn't there something just human nature about this rebellion against the man? You know, they don't know what it's like out here. And we're out here and we're sweating in here and they got air conditioner in there. There's something about human nature, guys, that just, you know, uh, that, that we feel and kind of, okay, I, I hope, you know, they get theirs kind of attitude. Well, James says that's, that's very natural. But he said a lot of it is <laughs> because there really was a time when those who were making the rules made the rules in such a way to take advantage of others. I mean, can't you see that, uh, again, this is a non-political statement, but can't you see that some of the dilemma that we have in our country right now with the election coming up on Tuesday is kind of a fight of the haves and the have-nots? You know, they, they kind of position themselves that way. They try to make a case there whether there's a case or not. Because why? Because they know that that plays upon the heart of a sense of injustice to us. Third thing. He said it was spent on selfish pleasure. Look at verse 5. 
you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. If he just said the first part in luxury, I don't know that we couldn't include Job, Solomon, Abraham, David, and a whole bunch of really important people in the Bible in that. Joseph of Arimathea, the one who provided the tomb for, for Christ. There was a lot of rich people that were very... The, the, the women that gave the money to start the Philippian church, they were very wealthy. What did they do with their money? They, they involved it. So wealth is not the problem here, guys. Money is not the problem. It's that second part, this self-indulgence. It's an ability, instead of using it as a tool, both in our lives and the lives of others, that we actually kind of turn it inside and we begin to use it in such a way that it uh, is not profitable. It's not as God wanted. Fourth thing, it led to further unrighteousness. How many of you have ever wanted to test the theory, I could handle a million bucks and do it rightly? Have you, have you ever had that thought in the back of your mind? You know, you see how some people are spoiled by riches. You know, man, give me a chance. Just give me a chance. I will prove to be faithful. I will use it for good. I will bless this ministry over here. I will do this over here. I think every one of us think that we'll be very altruistic about that, that we'll be very honorable in the way that we would go out and use any riches that God gives us. But when we think of riches, we usually think of, okay, after I've taken care of all my needs. And it's an amazing thing that happens that as we get more and more money, that our needs kind of expand. I was teaching a financial class one time, and I said, okay, guys, we're going to look at what are your needs. What's the difference between a need and a want? And they started to you know, list different things. I said, what about a cell phone? Is a cell phone a need or a want? And everybody, oh, that's a want. That's not a need. I said, let me put in a different definition on it now, okay? What if it broke would you replace in the next 48 hours? Well, if that's how you're going to find it, I guess it's a need. Well, some people can say, well, I need it for my business. I need it for this. We can be very practical about those things. I'm not talking about cell phones, and I don't care what kind of phone you have and that kind of stuff. Don't miss the attitude part of this by kind of hankering on some of the examples, okay? Understand what he's talking about here. It leads to other possible acts of unrighteousness. Verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. I don't know that he was talking about actual murder and, and that what he was talking about in your hearts. Man, you've allowed this. You've taken advantage of people and it's cost them in their lives. I mean, who, really, who would have ever thought that Beanie Babies would be, you know, the, the, the beginning of drug, you know, to, to a life of crime? I just like Beanie Babies. I got my first aid, and all of a sudden I had 18, and all of a sudden I had 80, and then all of a sudden I had 180. Now, who would have ever thought that something so innocent, so fun, could lead to a place of indulgence in our life? Now, don't, please don't walk away going, he just does not like Beanie Babies, does he? I mean, they are the root of all evil. I never knew this. No, do you understand the concept here? Anything, and every one of us are going to have a particular area of our life where it could really, it could be sports, it could be, you know, your involvement in car, it could be, you know, anything. It could be anything that's out there that begins to kind of take your mind and it reduces your level of contentment. 
Listen real carefully to this. James was writing this, I totally believe, as an indictment on some, but a warning to all. I, I think there might have been very specific people that James was writing this to, going, you know, just in his prophetic role as a pastor, because he's a pastor of the Jerusalem church. And in that role, as a good shepherd, speak truth and love. And sometimes that means calling out something for the better good of getting a a new direction. So I think it was an indictment on some, but I I truly believe, guys, that it was a warning to all of us. Why? Because we all have this in us. Can you really say that in your natural state that you lean toward being content or not content? In your natural state, is there a leaning, is there something in that human nature that leans one way or the other. I will confess that the natural default in Bobby Linkus, apart from Christ, apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, is one of not being content. Wanting a backup to the backup to the backup, just in case. So what do we do? Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he said to them, take care. The NIV uses this term, watch out. It's a warning. Watch out and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He's not doing that as an indictment. He says, watch out, be careful, because there's a part of you that kind of leans in this direction, and if not careful, if not something kind of pulling it back, the word of God, the Spirit of God, that you could kind of really lean that way and really maybe even go crazy with it, like that lady that we saw before. It's all part of our human nature. This is not, again, please divorce yourself from, oh man, that's just an attack on American capitalism. I, I, I like American capitalism. I'm a big fan of it. But the Bible is not interpreted, guys, through American capitalism. The gospel is not contained to America. We don't go as Americans and look at the word. The word looks in a global gospel. And I've got to be able to, if, if, it's, if it's truly the gospel, I've got to go into the poorest part of Africa. I've got to go into the richest part of this world. And the gospel will apply equally well. If it's truly the gospel of Christ, it has to apply on both ends of the spectrum. So he's not saying money is evil. Let's put it this way. Long lost aunt, so that you don't get emotionally distraught here. Long lost aunt that you never even knew about, but somehow she knew about you. And she leaves you $2 million. Tomorrow morning, November 7th, 2016, you get a letter and a check in the mail for $2 million. Did you instantly become evil overnight because all of a sudden now you have two? No, of course not has nothing to do with evilness. has everything to do... Now, now, what I do with this $2 million, that may be a test of character. That may be a test of, okay, you know, how serious am I about living this life seriously for Christ and Him working through all the things that He has blessed me with. But, but here's the different challenge. And the one that most of us will face, because most of us are not going to receive in the mail tomorrow from an Aunt Susie that we never knew $2 million and go, wait this is a good day. God rest her soul. <laughs> now, most of us 
are going to be through the cycle of life. Go off to work tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And our battle isn't how do we deal with $2 million and do this in a righteous way. Most of us, how, how do I make the money that I make and do so in a heart, an attitude of contentment? Would you say that you're probably more on that side than the other side? So how do we live contented lives? Three things, then we'll go this morning. Number one, keep an internal perspective. One of the things that we see in James' writing here is he keeps on kind of going back and says, okay, guys, you've lost an eternal perspective, and you're kind of doing this micro here instead of the macro. You're looking at today, next week, next year, maybe the next ten years, but you're losing sight of eternity. And whenever I lose sight of eternity, I begin to really think much more with this natural person of Bobby rather than the spiritual person of Bobby. And so what God is continually doing through his word, what he's continually doing through uh, his spirit, is saying, okay, Bobby, don't think about just next week or next month or next year. Bobby, will you keep an internal perspective? This is really hard, guys. It really is. When there's sickness in your family... It really is hard. When you're feeling terrible that day or one of your children's feeling terrible, it is hard to say, okay, I'm going to keep an eternal perspective here. When they say, you know, you've been a faithful employee for 15 years, but we don't need you anymore. We're kind of phasing out your job. It's kind of hard to keep an eternal perspective. It really is. But that's the answer. Because all of a sudden those things that kind of are hard to identify become a little bit easier to identify. I think it's a, a game that you can get on your phone where they show you kind of a, a, a close-up of something. You have to guess what it is. Can we show that first one? And, and you are allowed to kind of shout out in church. Anybody have a guess what that is? And this is an intense close-up. Anybody know what that is? Okay, a flower. Dandelion, who said that? Lynn, very good. Show the next one. Yeah. Oh, now it makes sense. Yeah, you know, now that I see the picture in full, the little, you know, close-up, the, the, the microcosm, you know, makes a little bit more sense. Go to the next one. You may have a clue. And, and I apologize, it's hard to get something HD, you know, by the time we uh, put it on the slide, put it up here. Anybody have even a clue of what that is? Ladybug. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, do the next one. Rooster. How many people said rooster? Very good. And the last one. I think it's the last one. It seems like something you need to go to the doctor for, doesn't it? <laughs> I was like, man, is this something in your cell? Go ahead and show the, the bigger picture of that one. See, it's, it's an amazing thing, guys. When we see the whole picture, then we're going, okay, I, I'm backing off. Or I get perspective. Or I have more understanding. I know it's dangerous. I, I know it's not dangerous. What's oh, a ladybug? Oh, it's a bee. And we know whether, oh, let's go over there. I don't know that you pet a ladybug, but whatever you do with a, baby, a ladybug, but you probably go away from a hornet or a wasp. Does that make sense? Do you, do you see the illustration? God is always trying to give us this eternal perspective because our nature is, one, to look at things from a very short day, week, month, 
man, what's this going to do? You know, how do I pay my bill next month? And that's why it can kind of get out of line with this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, uh, we cannot take anything from this world. How many of you believe that scripture? That we brought nothing into the world, and that we're going to take nothing out of it. Now, that's called an eternal perspective. Okay? But isn't that kind of hard to live out every day? I mean, isn't it in just the fierce life and clocking in and clocking out and paying bills? Isn't it kind of hard to kind of really keep that perspective? So the first thing, to have an attitude of contentment, especially in this Thanksgiving season, is, is to keep an internal perspective. Second thing, realize what true wealth is. And this is probably one of the things that in America, again, that we probably have the biggest trouble with. We, we see wealth as you know, things, stuff, a uh, number of zeros after uh, the numbers in our bank account. And uh, that, that's not really what wealth is. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, from about Christ, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, in a moment of sobriety, in a moment of really sitting there and focusing on that, how much does that make sense? That true wealth is not how rich I am, but that Christ knows me and that I have Christ. Does that make sense as we're sitting here in the clarity of this moment? But isn't it amazing how fuzzy it gets tomorrow morning, if not this afternoon? I mean, let's just be honest with one another, guys. I mean, unless you have a whole bunch stored up, you know, there, there's that certain pressure of, Man, is it enough? I hear people talk about that all the time. Man, I've saved, I've saved, I've saved, I've saved. I just wonder if it's enough. And there's a tension there. I, I, mean, I, I tell you, I battle with that. I've saved, I've saved, I've saved. And I wonder, is that enough? The older I get, the faster on that side of the hill that I am, that thought comes. And that's why I have to run back and say, okay, God, I don't want to have the spirit of fear I'm the richest man on the planet because I've, you've given me a wife that I love. You've given me beautiful daughters. You've, they've married into to wonderful homes. I am the most blessed, wealthy man that I know. That, that, that's what he's talking about here, guys. How easy it is to lose that perspective for every one of us. So how do we have this attitude of contentment? The third thing, discover the joy of sharing. It sounds almost um, counterintuitive there that if we want contentment that we would actually have an attitude of giving away. Look what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 11. What do you know about the book of Proverbs? Is it a, a book of wisdom? Yeah, it's a book of wisdom. And so these are wise things. These are wise applications for life. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. How many of you would agree with that? Now, it's in the Bible, so it's kind of a loaded question. But have you lived that out before? Where you didn't have much? Seminary was one of those times when we could have really had the, the old seminary pity party and we have surrendered to the call of the gospel. We have nothing. 
And we were still the most blessed people. But we would gather our food. And back in the day, uh, one would be, bring you know, just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That was some of the best meals I've ever had. Not because of beefaroni or spaghettios. But because I was sitting there with people that I loved and I just enjoyed being around. You know, ramen noodles can be a feast for a king in the right setting. Amen. And the best steak lobster dinner with all the fixings can seem quite trivial when there's matters of the heart and you don't know if you have Christ or not. Well, Bobby, you're you're approaching this all spiritually, folks, because it's a spiritual matter. It is not a financial matter. It is a spiritual matter. If it was a financial matter, then we would just pray out, okay, God, give us more money. And instead of 2,000 years ago, him sending his son and clothing himself in flesh and dwelling among us and dying for our sins, he would have just sent us, you know, a retirement fund. I am not making fun of building in proper... I mean, the Bible says, Proverbs, the same wise book says, prepare for the future, that even the ant knows in the times of harvest how to prepare for the future, Okay? There's nothing evil about that. What comes in is when all of a sudden this attitude of, okay, I'm discontent because I wonder, do I have enough? Do I have this? Do I have that? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And Christ, you're, you're, you're the sons and daughters of the living king. And king's kids don't live like that, guys. When we have every riches, every rich and everything valuable in Christ Jesus. Now, just to get this mind to think that way rather than the natural way of, I just need more stuff. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, I pray that this morning that we would hear your word for what it is, not for what we make it. Father, I pray that, uh, Father, in, in this day that we would be able to say with clarity that we all have this bent toward us. It doesn't mean we have to feed it. It doesn't mean that we have to act upon it. But, Father, we have this nature that's a pull, a leaning toward discontent and thinking that if we can put more things around us, more stuff around us, that somehow we will uh, kind of grow in that level of contentment. Father, not only in this passage, but your whole word shows us that satisfaction and contentment only come through Christ. Then we can say like the Apostle Paul in Philippians, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. This is the power of Christ in me. Father, I pray for that heart. I pray for that understanding. I pray for that freedom. But most of all, Father, I pray for that contentment. I want to be that content person. That no matter what the circumstance, much or little, that I can say I have Christ and I am the wealthiest man that I know. Will you train my heart and my mind to live off your word and your promises? We love you and we thank you as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. 
We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.